What's up, everybody? This is Pastor James. Welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. We should be able to finish up chapter 11 today as we read about having order at the Lord's Supper. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about order in worship, and that mainly dealt with um, what was appropriate and not appropriate for both men and women as they met together as they prophesied and they prayed. So if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's podcast first because it'll kind of help you understand why there was so much confusion, there's so much distraction um, that's going on inside the church as they're meeting together um, during their times of worship. And now Paul is moving on in the second half of this chapter as he's beginning to talk about the Lord's Supper, which we're going to read today. So let's read this together. This is verses 17 through 34 of chapter 11. And let's talk about order at the Lord's Supper. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper, for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, Some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. For I pass on you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if you would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Alright, so it's very important to remember that Paul has been writing a lot of things to this church. Now, we're in chapter 11, so, so we're pretty deep into the letter. And he's still going strong with things that are going on inside this body. And it seems that Paul is, he's addressing, um, and everything that he continues to address seems to be getting worse and worse. Uh, You know, just the morality and the attitude of these people towards God and their culture is just really confusing. Um, They're treating the things of God as unsacred and unholy. And they're not just on, they're not honoring the Lord like they should be. And so you got to remember at the beginning of this book, 
Paul began talking about how it's not important which apostle they follow. You know, in the beginning, it was just kind of like it was petty stuff. Uh, they were all arguing over who they followed and who they were going to listen to and who they honored, and so you see division. But then he begins talking about their immorality, the sexual immorality, and, and how they were basically just saturated with the same uh, expectations and the same standards of their, of their morality as the culture around them. Well, then Paul kept on talking, and basically uh, he even said that they were more immoral than the people around them, that they were doing things that even the Corinthian people who weren't Christians wouldn't do. And so if you remember the man who was engaging in a sexual relationship with his mother-in-law, that's something that the Romans and the Greeks wouldn't even do. And so now we're beginning to talk about how they are not treating worship and as they should. They're not doing things in worship as they should, which is the first half of chapter 11. And now they're not honoring the Lord's Supper as they should. So they're taking the things of God and they're treating them as common and unholy. So as Paul begins, he, he basically just starts out in verse 17 talking about the Lord's Supper. And he really just goes for the jugular. And he basically says, you don't follow instructions very well because We've already talked about all these things, and you're still not doing what we've told you to do. And it seems that you're doing more harm than good when you meet together. So, you know, in, in saying that, I just want to remind you, this is something that we remind ourselves as a staff. I, I remind our, our leadership team at the church about this, that our corporate worship um, is very important. And it should be wonderful. It should be a time of glorifying God and encouraging everyone that is there. But we have to be very careful because corporate worship is a direct reflection of the personal worship that's taking place among the people in their own personal lives. And I want to say that again, corporate worship is a direct reflection of personal worship of everyone that's involved. And that's sad because when you get a bunch of people together who are not personally worshiping Christ throughout the week... Well, when you get them together, worship's not going to take place. And this is what Paul's saying. More harm is being done than good is being done whenever they get together. Because these people are living in sin. Their lives are filled with jealousy, bitterness, their personal ambitions. They're trying to elevate themselves above one another. There's immorality among them. Um, and now they're desecrating holy things. They're desecrating their corporate worship. They're desecrating the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And they're really making a big mess of these things that are holy and uplifting to God. And they're just... they're. They're really messing this up, okay? So Paul even addresses the fact that there are divisions among them and that the divisions are evident whenever they meet together. And so it's really important to see that they are not worshiping. Whenever they're meeting together, they're not focused on God. They're focused on um, arguing, lifting themselves up above one another, elevating themselves above one another. They're, they're focusing on their own personal preferences in life. And that's evident because they're living in sin. They're desecrating. They're not, they're desecrating things of God. They're not treating God with holiness and reverence. And so they're basically just focused on themselves. Now, this is uh, very sad. This is a very sad place to be in. 
And, and Paul says that, you know, it's not good that they're divided, but I guess the divisions are necessary so that people who have God's approval can be recognized. And so hopefully in the midst of this division, the people who are trying to follow God will be recognized and proven to be true and right. But because the church is it's in the middle of divisiveness, it's not worshiping and there's no order in worship, and now they're not even maintaining the reverence and holiness to God's uh, sacraments, the church can't grow. It can't bring about new believers because it's in the process of, of really... It's trying to purge sinful people who are who are posing as followers of Christ, but in reality, in their heart, they're not really followers of Christ. And this is why he says in verse 20 that when they meet, they aren't even interested in the Lord's Supper. But why does Paul say this? And it's important to understand that the early church had a tradition of eating a shared meal with one another while also celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And, and this was a combination of a shared meal with the Lord's Supper, and they called them love feasts. And, and it only made sense for the early church to do this because when you think about so many accounts of Christ in the Gospels, I mean, he was eating with his disciples constantly. He was eating with other people constantly. Some of the most significant things happened while they were eating meals together or with other people. And so... As they referred to these meals as love feasts, and they did this with the Lord's Supper, um, some things began to go astray in the church in Corinth. Uh, they were not honoring the Lord in this. And so what was happening is that some of the people were bringing their own meals. And so it's kind of like, you know, old people refer to this as a potluck dinner. You know, it's like churches used to do this all the time. Everybody brings a covered dish. Everybody shares, you know, we all like dig into each other's food and we share this and it's all fun and it's a great time of fellowship together. And, you know, people don't do that so much anymore because people are just really weird about food now. Um, but they were doing this early on in the early church. And as they had these love feasts uh, and people would bring their food in, what was happening is, is some of these people were bringing in their own meals, but they weren't sharing it with the other believers. Um they were eating this meal like it was for physical nourishment, and they were hogging it for themselves. And so they were hurrying and eating their meal, not sharing it with others. And it seemed, from what Paul said, that they had plenty to eat, that some of them were probably overeating. And it says they were overdrinking because some of them were even becoming drunk while some of the poorer people in the congregation were going hungry and they were not able to partake in these meals. So, as a result, God is being dishonored in this. And there were so much going on in this. And the sad thing is, is that this meal, this love feast, is supposed to be coupled with the Lord's Supper. But in the midst of this, of this meal, the people in the church were neglecting the greatest command. You know, you remember the, the religious leaders came to Jesus and said, which is the greatest command? Well, Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is equally as important, love your neighbor as yourself. And so as they were eating this meal and they're not loving their neighbor, they're consuming it for themselves and they're hogging it for themselves, they're not honoring the Lord. They're, they're breaking one of the greatest commandments. 
And so in this, they're disgracing the Lord's Supper because they're not being obedient to the commands of God in Christ. And to love God is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't honor God in your daily actions, in in every aspect of your life, then you can't honor God with your spiritual rituals. And so this is kind of what Paul is indicating. And this is why Paul says, Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? If you don't want to share your meal with the other believers, then eat your meal at home. Like, you got a home. Eat, eat your food there. If you're worried about not wanting to do it with other believers, then eat your meal at home. Because if you come and you hog your meal for yourself and others go hungry, then you're breaking the commandments. And it's just, it, it's a terrible situation. And it seems, it doesn't seem that significant because it's really hard for us to understand this. But when you have people among you who are truly poor and are truly going hungry and they don't have enough food to eat, it's almost torturous for someone to sit there and eat a meal and eat more than really what they need and to have enough to get drunk from rather than share it with fellow believers. It's really a form of cruelty that you're just doing this in front of people who don't have access to food and drink. And that's the reason why it's so bad. So... He asked them if they desired... To disgrace the church and shame the poor. And that's a legitimate question because that's what they were doing. I mean, they were disgracing the commandment of Christ and they were shaming the poor. I mean, they were just being cruel to them as they were forcing them while they were hungry to sit there and watch as they ate and drank. So Paul is adamant that he will not praise him for their behavior. And uh, it's his calling as an apostle to hold them accountable for their actions as the body of Christ. And this is what he's doing. So in verses 23 through 26, it's pretty intriguing few passages of Scripture because Paul tends to be pretty forthcoming with where his advice comes from as he writes his letters to the Corinthians and the other churches and other people. If it's a suggestion, he usually says it's a suggestion, and if it's from God, then he's clear that it's from God. And verses 23 through 26 are declared as being from the Lord himself. So Paul gives direction for how the Lord's Supper should be done perfectly in context with what the Gospels communicate. Um, So Paul says that he got this information from the Lord himself, and it's almost like word for word from what Jesus says in the Gospels as they're recorded. So as a result, some apostles believe that maybe he could have got this from the other apostles whenever he started hanging out with them and you know they were seeing whether or not he was legitimate in his followings of Christ. Some people believe he may have got this from the Gospel of Luke because the Gospel of Luke was already written by this time. But I think it's pretty fair to say that if Paul said he got it from the Lord himself, then it probably came from the Lord himself. I mean, Jesus did reveal himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, he personally called him. This is why Paul is considered an apostle. So the understanding that um, Jesus would personally speak to Paul is not foreign or it's not outrageous. So I think it's pretty fair to say that he probably did receive this directly from the Lord. And uh, he's usually a straight shooter, so I think it's pretty safe to trust him in this uh, as Jesus personally called him and appeared to him. So 
In verses 27 through 30, these are a little tricky as well. Um, these verses have been used for many years to scare or to warn people as they participate in the Lord's Supper. And I've heard some pastors use this in a healthy way to encourage people to be prepared for the Lord's Supper. And I've heard some pastors use this as a way of basically a scare tactic to keep people from participating in the Lord's Supper. And you got to be really careful with this passage of Scripture. And I want to be very careful as I explain this because it's important to understand that partaking in the Lord's Supper is a very serious thing. And it shouldn't be taken lightly. And we'll talk about that, um, why that's so serious here in a few moments as we move on through the passage. But in saying that, this passage was not written to exclude people from participating in this act of worship. Okay, so, so Paul's desire was not to keep people from participating in worship, but his desire was for people to participate in right standing. And this passage is written with a spirit of, of humbleness and of self-examination. And Paul even writes in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 3, for people to be honest in your evaluation of yourselves and not to think of themselves as being better than they really are, but to humbly measure ourselves according to Christ and the faith that he has given us. So in reading verses 27 through 30, I don't want you to be scared to participate in the Lord's Supper, but it is important, and I think it's very healthy for us to examine ourselves and make sure that we are in right standing with Christ when we engage in the Lord's Supper because it's an act of worship. And so if we examine ourselves and make sure that we're in the right place, to do this act of worship, then we can do it with confidence as well. And we can do it knowing that we have been pleasing to the Lord. And you got to remember, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves worthy of this. So, so there's no activities, there's no uh, abstaining from activities, there's nothing like that that we can do to make ourselves worthy of the Lord's Supper. Rather, this is about allowing Christ to cleanse us and to change us and shape us and mold us. So we have to submit ourselves to Christ and allow Him to cleanse us like He desires to do so in order to truly be worthy. Now the scary part of these verses is realizing that we can bring God's judgment upon ourselves if we do this in an unworthy manner. So we don't do this by sinning. Uh, you know, and I, this is important. Sin will eventually bring about God's judgment if we don't repent and we don't turn away from it. But if we treat God's one and only Son with contempt, if we treat Him as common, as unholy, and as insignificant, it's important to understand that um, if we do that, that we will bring judgment upon ourselves. And Paul communicates this, and he says, if you don't come before Christ on His terms... And if you don't allow him to cleanse you and make you worthy and you do this in an unworthy manner, you are bringing judgment on yourselves. And the act of irreverence was what Paul wrote as being the vessel of punishment. He says, you know, reading this passage, it was probably more figurative that Paul was saying you're eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. So that's probably a pretty figurative statement that, you know, doing it, the act of doing it brought the judgment on you. But it's very important to understand that there was judgment brought on them because they were sick. 
Many of them were sick. Many of them, their bodies were weak. Some of them had even died. And so Paul was associating their suffering uh, of physical ailments and dying with their divisiveness, their immorality, their, their desecration of the Lord's Supper as reasons for their physical ailments and even their deaths. And so as we read this, we have to understand that we must examine ourselves so that we will not be judged by God. But Paul says it's better to be judged by God and disciplined by him so that we won't be condemned along with the rest of the world. And you got to remember in the book of Proverbs, it says that God always disciplines and corrects those that he loves. And Paul finishes up the chapter with the charge to the Corinthians that they should wait on each other for these meals and for the Lord's Supper, that this is an act of doing this together in unity and with reverence to the Lord. It's not just about eating your food and doing the Lord's Supper and getting it over with. It's about loving your neighbor as yourself, about sharing everything with your brothers and sisters in Christ and making sure everyone's needs are met. And it's sinful if we are overindulging while other people are going hungry. So, do it together in unity and reverence to the Lord. And if you're hungry, you should eat at home before you come so that you don't bring judgment on yourself. And this is a serious issue. And there were some other matters along with this that were going on. And Paul says that he will talk about those when he arrives. And we, we're never going to know what all those things were that were going on in this situation, what the other matters were. But it's evident that there was so much more going on. You know, the, the early church of Corinth, um, this is a young church, like we've said, about two years old at this time. And they were a mess. Um, they just had a lot of stuff going on. They were, they were very immature in their faith and their understanding of what God expected and wanted from them. And so Paul encourages them to be honest and come humbly before Christ and examine yourselves before you do this. And so I just want to ask today, how about you? Where are you? Are you honoring the Lord or are you making a mess of it? And that's something that you have to come to terms with and be honest with as you evaluate yourself today. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we do want to say thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your mercy. And God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives, that you would help us to serve you and to live for you. And Lord, we ask that you would um, guide us today. Help us to be honest in our evaluations of ourselves. Help us to come before you and allow you to cleanse us and make us holy and to make us worthy of the worship and adoration that you deserve. Lord, we love you today. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in for another week. Um, we would love for you to join us on campus. But as always, if you can't do that, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. We hope to see you soon.